Hey everybody, welcome to uh, Westworld Dives, the uh, show where we only talk about Westworld. Um, Westworld all the time. We just got our hottest Devin Rachel Wood news and Aaron Paul is going to be joining us on the program later to talk about all of his Westworld, you know, behind the scenes stories and everything. So first off, I'm uh, going to introduce my co-host, uh, Christian Westworld. Uh, Christian Westworld, you want to say hi? Uh, hi, it's uh, it's great to be in Westworld uh, with Max Westworld. Is it? I feel like you missed <laughs> the point of the show that we're talking about. <laughs> no, listen. Uh, so we we decided to do Westworld this week because we have the season and every week uh, and every week forever. That's the <laughs> we have, show. We have the season three again uh, premiere coming out uh, in yeah. like a week and a half or two weeks or some shit. Like yeah, that. after like what a two year hiatus. They're um, all like eighteen months at least. I remember like the season one to two was forever, and this seems uh, equally long, if not a little bit longer. Right. But I would say this: like we wanted to have enough time to really talk about this and dive into season two because I think this is one thing about the show you can definitely say is uh, love it or hate it. It's certainly a dense and complex show by design right it's very rep- uh, repetitive and there's a lot of like minute details that change and it's um right. it kind of requires you to pay attention uh when it came out can i just tell you my personal thing when it came out i was obviously a big fan of a big huge western fan i have a comic book uh that, that's a western and so when i knew they were doing this and i saw like the creative team behind it and stuff like that like obviously got very very excited about it heard there was troubled production right that was a big thing they had a whole production yeah, middle season one because well, we got we got like a teaser trailer like right. a full like year and a half two years before the thing even fucking premiered and like mm-hmm. after that teaser trailer it was just nothing i think it was just a, a trailer where it was just zooming in on dolores's face after some lights come on in the Westworld facility or whatever. And then a fly lands on her eye. And that's like uh, right. the imagery, the classic imagery or whatever. And then nothing. It was like radio silence for a while. And then you heard like production issues, reshoots, whatever. But Which Generally speaking, it's not to say that it doesn't happen, but when you hear about like production issues and stuff, it's very hard to shake off that stigma. You know, right. like there's certain productions like I get, I've never seen World War Z, but everyone tells me that somehow that movie is like pretty competent despite how bad of a production it was, you know? And I think that's right. even harder to do with TV because TV, like a movie, you're doing something and you're containing it within 90 to 20 to two hours. But like with a TV series, every decision you make sort of locks you into a narrative path that yeah. you have to kind of do, which is very interesting for the show. Yeah, you can't do, you know, 50 takes in one scene. You can't have right. Kubrick coming in and you know, directing... <laughs> Uh, I want to see a Kubrick TV show, but it probably would never get made for that reason because it needs to be a quick turnaround. You know, you, you need to move on to the next thing. Uh, yeah, which I think is, you know, while we talk about why TV is so amazing right now, it's because they're doing things, I think, on par cinematically with film without the time or resources of film in a lot of instances. And Westworld, I think, is a big example of that. So we wanted to talk about season one. Uh, season two we'll do next week. I will also do a BoJack special retrospective on the the... the culmination on that show next week as well um but uh westworld season one which max you said you watched recently and i finally i powered through it uh my third watch yeah yeah no i I very very, uh i like westworld season one um no no shade at westworld season two but i mean it's it's a much tighter um more involving fun season of television than season two is and season two i appreciate intellectually but it also is the season that was trying to full reddit 
is my main beef with it. Yeah, season two. I think I think the highs of season two are fucking phenomenal. I think as a cohesive piece of uh, work, season one is really wonderful. But you brought it up, which is that season two is trying to purposely swerve a Reddit community that had guessed a lot of these. Uh, mythologies and theories and stuff like that and I've said that this is a show that would have done so much better in a fucking binge capacity because if you just got to watch that over a weekend that's a fucking great story that you're not necessarily going to get ahead of but even just like while looking back on it like I was rewatching it this time it's like yes I know it but walking watching those first two episodes you know who the men in black is, right? We know what that represents and the archetype of, of Westerns and stuff like that to begin with, sure. right? Who would be the polar opposite of that? Oh, here's the white hat. Okay. So immediately, like, the comparisons start to draw. And if you get seven days between these, like, fucking episodes, you're inevitably going to stumble up on some of these theories. And uh, yeah, it's a you're going to go that- to places where online communities congregate and you're going to start pooling your resources and, you know, start figuring shit out. Which I think is a wonderful thing about fandom. Obvious, like I really do. I think that's a great thing that there's a community that does it at the same time. I think that this is a a great example of when that shit um, affects the showrunners. We do, you know, Lost is a great example of people talk about mythology-driven shows, and people like to ask all the time, like, "Oh, did they know there was such like a fan theory community even then?" And people wanted to know if it was affecting the actual writing. And it's like this, I think for sure, was affecting the the writing. For season two but season one uh, I think for the most part is a wonderfully po- plotted thing a little dense at times um, I like it not only for the western stuff but because of the nature of storytelling that they kind of get into right by seeing the same things happen over and over again we get kind of exposed to the repetitions of daily life that we by the way are also going through it's really amazing that we're watching right. like you know it's robots really a show <laughs> about what it means to be human but it's about <laughs> I have to hear that one more fucking time about this show. Like I'm going to, I'm not going to do anything. Who am I kidding? I don't like that either because like, sure. It's a show about what it means to be human. If the ultimate goal is that they are going to succumb to the same bullshit that we do. Right. They have a violent revolution. Sure. Right. But But I mean, if you think about it, Christian, we're all stuck in our own loops. Well, that's my, I was just saying that. And then you're, you're acting like you just said it for the first time. Like profound facts. (laughs) No, no, I'm, (laughs) That's what everybody fucking says about the show. I mean, uh, and it's fine. Like, like I, I don't. I think that the show has more going for it than like some grade school philosophy, which I, I think that a lot of its detractors sort of uh, use against it or weaponize against it. Right. But it has so many other things. Like, I think the show is at its best when it's having fun with genre elements and it's leaning into the mystery and the sort of abstract horror of it. You know, the sort of uncanny valley. And that's really where season one shines for me, especially is you got a guy like Tony Hopkins, like any scene with him where he's just sort of, uh, especially in retrospect, sort of uh, with detached curiosity regarding these things that are almost human, but not quite you know with a mixture of like pity and envy and all these other things well especially like on this rewatch let me let me give it some real credit because you know the story is actually really tragic in a way that i think especially because they're doing a dual timeline thing that they kind of pull the rug out from you i mean if you're paying attention you kind of get to it earlier sure but Mm -hmm. it's still one of those things that you they don't they never hold your hand about when you are so you can start to make the mistakes of not knowing when this piece of the, the history is happening or if it's the past or it's the future and how it all influences and shit like that but the heart of it is a story that happens much like all these great shows that we love right like game of thrones we're coming in like 20 years after some shit 
that's where the real story is, you know? And mm-hmm. like, that's what's really fascinating to me is you had these two brilliant partners who wanted to do something that had never been done. There was a schism and then there was a downfall. Uh, and the way it's presented at first is you think that like, you know, Tony Hopkins is just this bad, bad, evil person, you know, like, and right. he does look at the, the, the hosts as these detached subhuman things. But what we come to find out is that he, he eats his words, man. He totally realizes that he was wrong then and has spent right. his entire life uh, in pursuit of writing that wrong in a way that is both poetic and, and uh, in honor of his friend and, and also changes the game, which is largely what it's about, right? Like right. season one, for better or for worse, it's a game. The subtitle, I believe, was called The Maze, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Like it was, uh, the maze was used as a metaphor for sentience and for the host being able to, you know, get to a place of being like human. Uh, but simultaneously, it's, it's uh, this game that the man in black is trying to win, not realizing that it's not for him. You know? Right. He's not allowed to be human. Missed history. And to be clear, he's not. Uh, he's, he's probably the least human character in the entire show. Uh, probably by design, you know? Um, I mean, there's yeah, that I guy mean, from, uh, from Grand Theft Auto. Like it is heavily implied, like, in the first episode, you think that he's, like, doing something terrible to Dolores. What, what do you think that they were actually saying he was doing? Because you find out more about his character as you go along. Um, but there's that scene where he's dragging you know, Evan Rachel Wood into the barn and you're like, okay, this is like the evilest motherfucker ever. Right. But we don't see what happens. It's all implied rather than shown. Yeah, but see, this is interesting because I think it's like a tale of two men, right? There's Robert Ford, uh, the brilliant archetype, the, the the man who created the vision, who is being squeezed out by the the board members and shit like that, and he's trying to right a wrong, right? But it's a great man right. trying to do something. Simultaneously, we find out that we're watching the rise and maybe subsequently the beginning of the fall for uh, the man in black, right? Uh, which is, well, William is his name, sorry. Uh and it's really interesting to kind of see that weird dichotomy of that character. And it's played really well uh, by, 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 what's his, our guy from uh, Jimmy Simpson? Is that his name? Yeah, well, Jimmy Simpson. Jimmy Simpson does a really good uh, job playing young Ed Hoyle from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> That's why I was hoping you would go, is to say his character yeah. from It's Always Sunny. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like that in and of itself is like another great man. We see him uh, as the man in black. He's already this established guy. There, there are all these hints to like, oh, he gets to do whatever he wants. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. And then we at the same time seeing him going from the white hat to the black hat, whatever old, you know, trope that it is. But it's still interesting to see that. Robert Ford's arc makes sense to me. It's this beautiful, tragic thing that involves betrayal and loss and like intellectual loss and stuff like that. Fucking Williams, he's mad that a robot didn't remember him <laughs> like like and that's what drives him to become so depraved it's it doesn't work on the same level even though it's a neat little reveal well i mean i uh, to push back on that a little bit he says later on in the season because what we find out is that, like you said jimmy simpson is revealed to be the younger version of ed harris's man in black character and it's like what twisted this you know, bright-eyed, meek young man into this uh, decrepit, evil uh, tyrant. Um, and he says later on that uh, he, he stopped looking for Dolores after a time and said he found himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, shows him, like, cutting up robots and, you know, dragging around his uh, emotionally abusive brother-in-law right. <laughs> naked. 
until Logan. he breaks psychologically. Which, by the way, I feel like the park would have stepped in at some point a little bit before that happened. I don't right. care how much money you're bringing in. Like, uh, this guy could die of exposure or heat exhaustion or something. He's not, not my problem. <laughs> I paid my money. <laughs> Uh, no, no, I agree. I, I agree with that to an extent, but still he, the way it's presented is the fact that his heart was so broken that he, you know, kind of went on and, but, but this is a good opportunity to talk about the women of the series who are also largely fucking important because, uh, mm-hmm. Dolores in the midst of being attacked by the man in black is so convinced that William is going to come save her because what we right. find out is that she did 35 years ago, right? Did figure out the maze and she did gain sentience and and she did have this real experience with him uh but again because the show is fucking with the timelines like we don't necessarily know that so uh equally it's about her kind of coming into her own her own agency her own sentience all that stuff you also have the same thing with Maeve like Maeve is a a very interesting character but interesting in a different way because they're setting them both up and these are themes that continue in season two but they set them both up as like oh they're both different uh, they are both going to do something. Like it's easy to make like they're the Martin Luther King and the Malcolm X of uh, of of like the host right, of the uprising. They want to handle this in a different way. But mm-hmm. Maeve is interesting because, as we find out throughout the season, someone is making her do that. Like someone has scripted this rebellious spark in her uh, down to the idea that everything she's saying is already scripted. None of it's original. Whereas Evan Rachel Wood, right, as Dolores seems to genuinely be that, that's that Moses, right? That Caesar, if you will. Mm. Um, and I, I just like, Moses both of, of the, well, both of the ladies are fucking fascinating in the season, man. And they, they outshine most of what's going on. Every time the dudes are on screen, like no offense. Cause I feel like it's a wasted Jeffrey, uh, uh, right performance. You know what oh. I'm saying? Because, well, he's just like taking his glasses off. He's very subdued all the time. Uh, and it's just a little depressing cause he's such an amazing actor all the time. I disagree. I really like him in great? this. I, I I think he's a he's a captivating uh, performer. Yeah, no, I I I, uh, I I would say like I would give him equal um, real estate uh, as I would to Evan Rachel Wood or to Thandi Newton or. Well, well here's my issue with it: is we see within a moment, like especially with the like the Arnold, or let's call it Bernard, if we will, the <laughs> Arnold uh, Dolores things, right? Which again, we don't know when this is happening. Thirty five years in the past, right? But we are believing it to be happening simultaneously right Mm -hmm. so it's like i my only issue with that is dolores evan rachel wood within a scene will go from three different you know types of dialect to acting to emotion to blah 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 blah, to fit that specific scene i know when i'm seeing two different Evan, evan rachel woods i didn't feel a difference between arnold and bernard that was my beef with it. I know he's supposed well, to be an exact replica. I know. I know yeah. it's built into the story. But what I'm yeah. saying is like it doesn't it didn't work for me. Like I think it was great. It felt one note. Like it was subdued without and season two, he does that too, but he brings some other dimension to it for some reason. Like I liked him much more in season two, despite liking the story of season two far less. Well, I mean, but in season two, like not not to argue with you too much here but season two is about him developing his own agency for the first time because season one he's he's a tool at best that you don't realize is a tool until 
you know, episode eight or nine or whatever it is where you realize, oh, this guy's a fucking robot if you didn't guess that already. And I had my suspicions, but Reddit knew better than me. <laughs> they were way ahead of me on that. The, the only time that I thought he was like really, really great, I mean, because he's good always. I'm not being mm-hmm. shitty. But the moment where it's kind of revealed to him, uh, everything with like Teresa, right? Like, what is this? What is this? Doesn't look like anything to me, right? Like that scene. Yeah. And then the Ford scene where now confronted with this truth, he now has to fucking kill himself. Those are phenomenal fucking scenes because it, it changes it slightly from what he's been doing the whole time. I know it's built mm-hmm. in. I don't want to be shitty. I love Jeffrey Wright more than anything. Uh, I'm just saying that I think that Dolores and Maeve, oh, Thanny Newton's great, man. Like she's really wonderful in the show. Uh, Very confident. And I think, and narratively, I think they, they both do a lot of heavy lifting, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I, I think that if there's anything to say about the show that's positive um, across the board uniformly, I would really have to say it is the performances. Like, I don't think that there is a, a false performance on the show. Um, maybe, maybe that one guy. Maybe that one uh, Br- British guy who writes all the stories. He's kind of. Like if you want to talk about a one note character, like yeah. cartoonishly one note, it would be him. But it's almost fun to watch. But I like uh, that, yeah, because I feel like that has something to say about writing. And the whole show does feel like this weird meta commentary on the pre- uh, creative process in a way. Specifically, more season two when we go to Samurai World and we literally have the identical script. Like, and yeah, there is this like love letter between samurai and westerns, and they often feel interchangeable. But that was like, all right, come on, man. Like Sergio changed a couple things from Yojimbo. You know what I'm saying? Like Just literally transposing the exact same right. story beats from Westworld onto Samurai World or Shogun World or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's the show itself, I think, is, is really wonderful for the most part. And I think you're right. The highlight of it is that the acting is so great that it often elevates some of the more muddled parts. As a whole, I still thought it was great engaging television. Still asking mm-hmm. philosophical things, not in a second grade way, but also not in a 102 way, which I think is impressive, like, you know, and, and teaching a compelling or telling a compelling story along the way. Well, I, what I like about it the most is that it does clearly set up where the narrative would be going for the future seasons. Like I said with Dolores and Maeve, you right. have this ideological difference, but they're both coming to sentience. You know, at some point, like they're allies, but they could also very easily become foes. And we see that happen later on. We see yeah. uh, William, by the way, can I just tell you his fucking, I don't really love his story uh, in terms of, I feel like he just got bratty or whatever, but Ed Harris has a look at the end of this season, dude, where like the robots are about to take over and Dolores shoots Ford in the back of the head. And then all the, the robots come out from the tree lines and they shoot at him and he gets yeah. winked on the shoulder and he just looks at the wound and he looks like a fucking kid at like six flags or something, dude. Yeah. He's he, so he's, happy. Like, he, the feel finally, finally, like the yeah. game, like the games for me now. And I thought that right. was an amazing kind of like little emotional beat they gave me. Cause this guy cares about nothing except this game. And the game has finally right. changed. It was like the one thing they could give him. He's, he's been going to this park long enough that he's played every storyline in every way that you could. He's literally right. like, it's almost like a metaphor for being a gamer and just right. returning to the same game. And you just want a different experience, but you can't find one. And now, oh, finally the bullets are real. The stakes have been raised. I'm literally, once I finish the script that I'm working on, I'm going to celebrate by starting Red Dead 2 again and mm. playing it I've been replaying it. Yeah. I just I can't wait because the idea is like I played that game and I can literally do anything I want. And I just like I can never bring myself to just be a morally terrible person. 
Yeah, I was thinking about that recently, and this is maybe a, a subject for our other podcast, but um, like I, I was trying so hard to be a bad guy this playthrough because I played the, the last or the first time I played it, I played him as like the best version of Arthur that you could be. Right. And in this one, I started off bad, and now I'm just like just trying to raise my karma because I just feel bad, man. I don't want to <laughs> shoot murder and rob people. Right. Uh, and and that well, that's what's interesting about it is we play these things and like we don't – like I'm, I'm glad that we feel – some kind of way about yeah. shooting clearly inanimate things you know what i mean because it says something about us as people and the way we kind of feel about brutality what's interesting about the man right. of black is somebody who like doesn't give a fuck like he's so well, past that you know and i mean in video games like those simulations are going to get more and more realistic so it's right. going to become more and more of like a moral quandary or maybe it's not you know maybe there will still be enough of a divide but like when those NPCs start looking more and more like real human beings. Are you going to be less compelled to shoot them and maim them and right. blow them up and shit? And that's sort of what the question that this show is dealing with up to a point, right? Is like they're very there's very little to distinguish these robots or whatever from real ass human beings. But this show is showcasing, and I think it's going to get into this with this new season and the later seasons because they've referred to these first two seasons as almost like a prequel for the story they're really trying to tell, which is mm -hmm. interesting to me. That is interesting. Um, is that uh, when humanity is given free reign, even uh, to inflict pain upon things that actually do feel pain and have personalities and have real emotions and thoughts and feelings, uh, they, will, they will do it gladly and willingly. Um, it's kind of an indictment on the human race, which is sort of what Anthony Hopkins' character is talking about um, in that whole first season, and I guess in the second, in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, what I like about it is that you can really look at it through any kind of lens you want, because just any kind of subjugation you know, or treatment of animals and stuff like that, you know, for our own games. It's really mm -hmm. interesting that, like, it's been flirted with before. I think Minority Report had that, like, simulation thing where you could – everyone wants to know how it is to murder your boss you know what i'm saying like that right. shit. <laughs> and then the cops come and he's like everyone wants to know what it's like to conduct the london philharmonic but uh but it's like that that's that's been toyed with already you know but they they find an interesting kind of way to talk yeah. about it that I, also I the show is like doing anything brand new it's no. just combining a lot of different ideas in in a more fleshed out way you know yeah. in a television format with a high budget you know, and doing it within genre that is quote unquote sexier and more digestible yeah. for some of those themes, right? Because if this was just someone like teaching a class on ethics, you'd be like, boo, <laughs> like, why'd you, why'd you create light this? No, like they have yeah. to put some cowboys and some robots in it. And then you're yeah. like, all right. And, and I mean, like me being the basic bitch, I sometimes am like uh, watching just the Western shit. Like I yeah. just want that show sometimes just right. a high budget HBO like shoot them up western i'm not talking about the deadwood you know talking and saying yeah. shit kind of western. you want to see just literal like, gunfights just yeah. you know like james marsden on a gatling gun <laughs> just shooting down like fucking union soldiers and shit like i'm right. all about it well we got that in the second season that was wonderful yeah yeah um yeah, yeah no i mean that's the thing so uh, you know uh, i love season one because it was so stu uh you know what's the word i'm looking for here it was like so soaked in the western tropes and stuff so steeped Se steeped there we go uh yeah, like fucking season well season two ends up kind of shifting away from that because they have to kind of lean more on the sci-fi stuff and, and, and what it looks like a season three is like kind of hard getting away from that i mean like it's the future of los angeles but it's not necessarily a world so different from the one the one that we've already been in considering we spent time in an old west landscape and a shogun samurai old 
Japanese yeah. fucking uh, landscape. Now we're going to go to just kind of metropolitan stuff. It's it's interesting. Um, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts about season one as a whole? Were there any characters that you wanted to talk about or any specific like, you know, bits of writing that stood out to you? I mean, uh, for anybody who hasn't seen, I, I mean, I just keep going back to Anthony Hopkins' performance. And so like he, he really does, I, I think the absence in season two was felt yes he does appear in season two but like the way he's able to elevate more or less okay dialogue into something much much better yeah and like there there's a video online um by a guy called nerd writer who's like pretty popular he'll like do like a you know an episode one week about a painting and then an episode about a piece of media or whatever and he did this one where it was just breaking down the scene where anthony hopkins has Teresa. Um, you know, eating dinner or drinking wine with them or whatever, and they're talking about the future of the park. It's like episode three or four. Mm-hmm. And just breaking down all the little grace notes in his performance and how he like stresses and pauses on certain words in a way that other actors don't to make that dialogue sing. Uh, we, like, we've missed in that second season. And yeah, like, we've long talked about man. that guy and like what it'll be when he is no longer with us because he is something that has always been around in my life. Yeah. Uh, and his performances have always been wonderful no matter the quality of the film. Uh, like it's, it was the Hearts in Atlantis that Stephen King adaptation is not a great movie he is so goddamn warm and tender in it that I've watched that movie 10 times he is that actor and he can turn that intensity from warm and fuzzy to cold Which and callous or, or he frequently what, does in this show too yeah. it's like in one scene he'll go from being like grandfatherly to yeah. menacing to terrifying and he's basically playing some version of God right yeah which is, yeah. is, is interesting More or less. Like, yeah, yeah. who better who, who better to fill those shoes? Morgan I, Freeman? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you saw the thought appear in my mind. And you're like, shut that shit down. Get it out of there. <laughs> no, I but totally agree. That, yeah, that's my last thoughts on season one. More Tony Hopkins and things. Medical science, do what you can. Rally, keep that man alive until he's a walking, talking skeleton. I don't care. Right. Uh, we can make right. that. We can, <laughs> we can add that to the top of the list. Uh, yeah, I just I, I just want to wrap it up by saying I think season one largely worked. It also uh, some things we didn't talk about, and I think it's important to oh, note. Or the, funny, yeah. Well, the music I wanted to talk about. I think the music oh, plays yeah. a significant role in the in the uh, in the show. They do a lot What's of player that, piano covers. Again, uh, well, the Game of Thrones guy is like Ramon Dewandi or some shit like that. I'm some probably shit, but he's a ama- yeah, he's incredible. Like he's uh, I, I don't know any other composers on TV, but I know him because he's great. Yeah, uh, he he does really amazing work that takes contemporary songs, remixes them through a player piano, really fits the tone. But even beyond that, his original compositions, I think his, I think his intro is every bit as lovely of Game of Thrones, and and it's it's more uh, beautiful because it's muted. It's yeah. so much quieter. <laughs> so well, I, I mean, really it, like it. It captures the much like Game of Thrones does captures the spirit of the show where it's kind of kind of uh, old-fashioned and kind of creepy and kind of otherworldly all at once, which the show uh, often is. I-, I will say one thing about season one that I don't like yeah, and bring it. that was not redeemed in season two is uh, when Maeve or Thandie Newton is uh, awoken or when she wakes up or whatever, when she's on the operating table or whatever you want to call it, there are these two bumbling, um, I don't even... You, 
can't call him scientists. So Felix, like, yeah, Felix, yeah, Felix and what's and his the, face? The other guy, the redheaded guy, is like the worst actor on any TV show. I've seen, maybe not any TV show, but he's he's terrible. Like he does not belong there. He's like a cartoon character that is annoying and grating, and I hate him. If it makes you feel better, he was on Harmontown, and I think he gets that. He, oh, does he doesn't understand why he's on that show. He he said that four times in the interview. Yeah, uh, so I appreciate I'm sure that. I'm sure he's a lovely human being or whatever. Uh, I'm sorry to that guy, but um, yeah, he just anytime he was on that show, it was like, oh, get this cartoon character out of this adult science fiction drama. Right. Uh, well, that's that's a small thing. It did seem like a weird miscast, and that's the thing. There's still moments of season one where you see like, oh, that's weird. That's weird. Right. Uh, and it's a lot of those auxiliary characters. Those two, the writer, the, the little British Jimmy Shive overly guy, uh, but without the charisma. Uh, some of that stuff obviously doesn't work, but I think as a whole, it was still engaging enough. Yeah. And you're right, Anthony Hopkins, along with Evan Rachel, like Evan Rachel Wood, everyone's really, really good. Um, it, it really coalesced into this. I think event TV thing. Like I thought like, this is kind of what you want in the world. And now game of Thrones is like, everything's ballooned the kind of scope you need to have. I thought it was a rightful addition season two. I am excited to talk about with you, Max, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into it. Um, season two. What are your overall thoughts on season two? All right. We're going to do a preview like before I rewatch season two. Is <laughs> that what you want to talk about? Like, Oh, did you not rewatch it yet? No, no, I thought I thought we'd do season one this week. Oh, we're, we're, we're just two. ending right here. Uh, well, that's okay. why. Well, maybe. maybe. I was I was getting all fired up, ready to talk about season two. Oh yeah, sorry. No, I think I couldn't watch twenty episodes in two days. I don't have that much time. But mm. but but next week, season two, we'll also do a little BoJack. Uh, uh, you and... know, sometimes I question why your name is Christian Westworld. You know. <laughs> As do I. I didn't name myself that. I didn't ask to be porn. Come on, man. Um, yeah, no. Uh, Westworld season one. Uh, okay, well, here, here's a question for you then. Uh, what what grade would you give this season? Out of 10 or a... Yeah, I mean, that's a rough question. It's like an enjoyment. I enjoyed it like a 9 out of 10. It's not a 9 out of 10 show. It isn't. Like, it has some faults. But the, uh, the, the material is elevated. The filmmaking is very well done that it hides some of the writing problems yeah so you know i mean this is a solid seven or like a solid eight that's right what i'd give season one i'd give um, it a solid b yeah yeah I think right. it's a solid like like for all of its ambition and everything i mean it doesn't always you know work redhead guy case right. in point but you know what also uh to balance him out uh maybe best james marston uh, role since Sex Drive. Sex Drive. You know, like, oh my God! What, what, what better uh, uh, match of material to actor has there been where he gets to play this sort of like empty shell of like a, a living right. man trope, but also gets to play an empty shell that's consciously supposed to be an empty. Like, like I like that this was a compliment and yet also a like total shade bomb thrown at James Marston. <laughs> No, like I feel for the guy because like he should have been like the next big star and he yeah. never was. He could like, have been Brad Pitt the, again. Yeah, he never found the material. And like this was kind of like the perfect fucking role for him because he's so good at like slipping in and out of like uh, being like the leading man. Oh, let's go get him, team uh, cowboy to like being like just completely shutting down just a total blank. Um, right. and he does it really fucking well. Yeah, excellent performances all around. 
Well, I guess we'll talk about this when we come to season two because season two has some fucking implications. But I don't know yeah. if our Teddy is in season three of Westworld even. So this is going right. to be an interesting thing to talk I mean, about. There's a lot of people that I don't know are going to be. That's what in- I'm thinking. I think like, they're, really they cut off half the cast and they're yeah. adding 20 new people. So yeah. it's going to be yeah, interesting. We get Aaron Paul instead, which I mean, it's hey. Game. <laughs> it's not a net loss for <laughs> that. Yeah, man. If, like, look, this show loves giving people monologues, and that guy has proven himself like the the monologuist in a lot yeah, of ways. He went know? through the Breaking Bad boot camp, you know, yeah. Ben Skilligan's school of monologuing. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, look, man. I think that's season one. I think we did a pretty nice jam with it. So we'll do season two next week. We'll also do, like I said, BoJack retrospective next week. We'll have two yeah. episodes. Um, That'll but I'm be excited. on our other show, uh, Shallow Bojacks. Um, Shallow Bojacks. I'm Christian Bojack, and uh, <laughs> this is Max Bojack. No, um, all right, man. So uh, you want to cut it here, and then we'll come back. We'll do next week, okay? Yeah, just turn it off. I'm not even going to say goodbye. I'll say goodbye. All right, until next week.